Well, good morning, everybody. Good to be back in the couple of minutes until the Davises get here. I'll give you a little personal update, and um, and then when Paul and Karen come in, we'll we'll get started. Well, I I'm very thankful to be back with you. I did not know originally that we would have the opportunity today to hear from Paul and Karen. And what happened was I knew he was coming to speak to the church, the announcement they gave this morning, because they're on sort of a farewell tour of going through all of their churches in the, in, I think, in this part of the country. And Jason Brun sent out an email, and obviously I got it, I think, sometime last week after I'd been back from the cruise, and he said, look, Paul and Karen are going to be here. And after they speak for 10 minutes to the church, if you'd like them to be in your class, you could do it. And I immediately, as quickly as I could type, yes, bring them here. Because I was one of those people that was on the 2013 trip he was talking about of the people from Lakeside. My oldest daughter, Rachel, was on the trip. She was a teenager at the time. And not only was it nice to be in France, it's a nice place, but it was also great to see the work they do. Because I'd been in other countries, and people... In one sense, they're the same everywhere. Their hearts are hard, they're sinners. In another sense, every culture is very different. And so there were challenges that I never even knew about in France that we learned about, and it really was remarkable, their faithfulness. Because Pontchara is not a giant place. Dennis has been there to work on the building. When we were there, there wasn't even a building. They were meeting in a community center. And unlike in the United States, in France... The city municipalities have the ability to give a church a building or to deny a church a building. It's not like America. So we were meeting in like a community center, the equivalent of a, one of the places you might vote at in a little town. And they didn't have anything, but they had some faithful believers. And I realized this was what the sixth or something time. What Paul and Karen do is not only a labor of love, it requires immense patience. Because if you're successful and you have a great church plant, you might not have as many people as in the Sunday school class. The country is that dark. And I don't have time to go into it and it wouldn't be necessary, but the history of France was very different now it developed. And so I had great admiration for what they did. Dennis and the other guys, when they finally got the place, got to go and do some work and see it. But he described the prayer walk. I'll never forget, walking around with my daughter. We were walking around town. It's not a big town. Walking around town praying, Lord, move in their hearts, move in their hearts, and to see the answered prayers. So when I heard that he was going to be here, and I know many have been at Lakeside a long time, Paul and Karen, just go ahead and come on up. No delay. So when I heard the opportunity to hear from them, I was excited. And so I will, if you did not know them before, you've already heard from them in church. But Paul, thank you so much for being willing to come here and to share with us today. Okay, hope I don't electrocute myself with hearing aids, this thing now, and whatever, so. <laughs> anyway, well, good to be with you. Lakeside is our home church, and when we come here, we feel like we've come back home. And hard to believe, 46 years ago, Lakeside commissioned us to send us off to France. We were young, naive, enthusiastic, and had a mammoth learning curve in front of us. To, to live in France, but by God's grace, here we are, 
46 years later, ready to retire, which means in an administrative change, we're going to let the U.S. government be one of our supporters and continue doing what we've been doing over in France. Our hearts are in France. Our lives are in France. Uh, we obviously will be back to America and back to Clearwater, one of our favorite places. Four of our married children live in America. The oldest is in Charleston, South Carolina with their four boys. Beverly's in Colorado Springs with their three children. John Paul is in Memphis with his three and one coming children. Uh, Julie is in Brooklyn, New York. So, I mean, if we were to move back to America, where would we go? One day I was joking about that and I said, well, and this is when Beverly lived in California too. So I'm thinking, well, where are we supposed to live? Kansas City? And the guy said, well, I'm from Kansas City. Oh, well, I'm sure that would be a great place. And I, I've never been there. But anyway, so now we're at this stage where we want to begin mentoring and coaching church planters and teach the next generation how to do what we've been doing. Uh, what time do we finish? Any speaker needs to know the closing time. Till noon, whoa. Uh-huh, okay. Well, when they start walking out, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, all right. Um, what I thought I would do is, and I shared it with the other Sunday school class, um, you can imagine over these years how many messages I have given or Bible studies on missions. Probably every text that is known and some that haven't been known for that category I have looked at. But there's one that always comes back to my mind. And especially with the way things are going in our cultures in America and in France, there's one rather simple passage that just brings to light to me what missions is all about. And it's really sort of like the message I want to leave with our supporting churches when we go back to France. And that's found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. One of the stories in the life of Jesus, it's, uh, it has become, to me, the text that I go back to constantly, not just to go to France, but to stay in France and to continue to do the work we do in spite of all the obstacles. France is a, a challenging country to learn to live in. If you're born and raised there, of course, that's your culture. But as Americans, to live in France, France is a beautiful, it's an ally. I mean, it's, we're talking Western culture here. We did not have to go to some place where everything, including the way we dress and eat and all that, we don't live in a hut. You know, we, it, this is not third world country. France is a very modern country. And by appearances, it looks just like America in many ways. It has the same kind of landscapes. They eat far better than we do. They have a more historical thing. It's, it's, it's a different country, and learning to, to plant churches in France has been quite, quite a learning curve. But how did we do it? How did we get there? How did we stay? That's where I always come back to this text. It's Mark chapter 2, the first five verses. Now, a little context. Mark is telling the life of Jesus. It's only chapter 2, so it's near the beginning of his ministry. So this is, things are really taking off now. Jesus is becoming known. He's beginning to make public appearances. And people are downright curious. Is That's the context here. Who is this man who teaches such things, who does such things? So let's just read the first five verses of Mark chapter 2. And when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. 
And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And then after, there's the objections by the Sadducees and Pharisees and a discussion. But th those are the five verses that I'd like to concentrate on. And now, I, I'm a member of Lakeside. I know the respect we have for the Word of God, the inerrant Word of God. But, is there a grammatical mistake in verse 5? Take a look at verse 5. What seem is a seemingly blatant grammatical error in verse 5? Anybody find it? There. Yes, the word there. There is plural, right? When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the singular paralytic, your sons are forgiven. Oh, oh wait, I thought salvation was by faith, only by individuals putting his faith in Christ, we come to salvation. But Jesus said when he saw their, whose faith? The four men. When he saw their, there's no, no, please don't tell Steve that I'm saying there was a grammatical error in, uh, uh, no, I'm still a member of Lakeside and hope to remain such, okay? Uh, no, there's no grammatical mistake. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, which is a tremendous eye-opening thing. We all know that we need to come individually to faith in Christ, but he also uses our collective faith to bring people to that individual faith. And that's what missions is all about. Our faith participating so that this man's faith, that woman's faith, that child's faith is placed in Jesus. Now, how did that all happen? First of all, let's put ourselves in the, in the context. I always encourage my people in the churches we planted, when you read a text like this, especially a story, he's telling the, the life of Jesus, let's pretend that we were there. You know, we're one of the, pe the people there. And what's happening this day? Jesus is in town. He's going to be speaking at so-and-so's house down the road and first come, first serve for seating. I mean, it wasn't the biggest house in the world, I assume. Jesus is speaking. we got to get there. So I can imagine, well, we know a lot of people were there. How do we know? Because the house is full. Okay, we, we know that. But what is happening during this? There's a man who's a paralytic. He cannot move. He has been placed on a bed. And where has he been placed? Like every other day of his life. He has been placed by the side of the road hoping that people will stop and give money or food or whatever he needs. That's the only way this man can survive. There was, there was no social security back then. There were not homes for the people like that. The only way this man can survive is to be placed as visibly as possible along the highway. So he is not hidden. But a lot of people have already passed this guy and haven't done anything for him. How do I know that? Because the house is full. He didn't just suddenly appear on the side of the road. All the people that have made it to the house have seen this paralytic. Perhaps they gave something to him. Perhaps they had pity on him. I wonder how many of them would have said, Wow, if only he could get to Jesus. Oh, but we got to get there. 
I'm, I'm sure a lot of people wished this man could get to Jesus. Well, but why wasn't he already there? See, the first thing was these four men, and we're going to commend them because they illustrate what missions is all about. What made them stop to get this man to Jesus? Well, obviously they, ha- they were convicted in their heart, and that's the first point. A conviction, a deep-rooted conviction that the only hope for this man is Jesus. The only solution for this man is Jesus. Now, we need to remember that that is true for all people around the world. The only hope is Jesus. Jesus said he was the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. No other name has been given under heaven by which we may be saved. All these verses that we know, Jesus is the only way. I'm, but how many people had that conviction that had already gone by? Probably quite a few. Now, I will interview them in heaven, those who are there. What, I have a whole list of people I'm going to be interviewing, and this is one group. I want to ask them, why didn't you stop? Well, we wanted to hear Jesus. Yeah, but this guy needed him too. Yeah, but... Yeah, and then the argument would go on. Lots of, conviction is great, but if it stops there, the guy is still on the road needing Jesus. He hasn't gotten literally one step closer to Jesus, and he won't. Because he can't do it by himself. Conviction. And I, I think we need to review that. Now, Lakeside, I know how committed we are to the Bible, and I'm so grateful for that, because there are many churches now that are saying, yet yeah, Jesus is the way, if that's possible. But of course, God looks at the sincerity of our heart, or he looks at this and the other thing. Well, uh, no, that's sincerely wrong. Jesus is the only way. But if our conviction just stops with, well, and we're convinced of that, nothing has really changed. Because these four men had more than conviction. They also had compassion. This compassion for this man. The Bible, our English Bibles, often use the word compassion to translate in Greek, which is a much stronger word than just feeling good about someone. It's this gut-level feeling of need, well, one person translates it, his stomach was tied in knots. You know the passage where Jesus looked at the, at the crowds, he had compassion on them? The word in Greek is a very gut level, his stomach was tied in knots feeling. And I think that's what we need in missions today too. Well, how do we react when we hear of a country, and we support a lot of missionaries around the world, when the Howards or others talk about the needs around the world, does that make our stomach tie in knots? Do we go home with that gut-wrenching something's got to be done about this feeling? Because it's so easy to get used to hearing these things. We get, it's, yes, yes, there's another need around the world. No, there's not just another need around the world. These people need Jesus and if we don't do something about it, they won't find out about him. You know what that feeling is. Your stomach is tied in knots. It's the feeling that you get when you've had a medical exam and the doctor walks in with the results and he is not smiling. You know what it is when the hospital calls and says, are you the parents of? It's the feeling that you get when you get a large envelope in the mail and the return address is the Internal Revenue Service. 
It's the feeling that you get when you're driving down US 19 or I-75 or any other road and suddenly there are flashing lights behind you. You know what that feeling is? It's a horrible feeling. And you do anything to, to solve the problem. Get that away from me, this issue. But you're not just going to say, oh, I guess it didn't feel too good. No, it's horrible. But Jesus, the Bible's asking us, do we have that kind of gut-wrenching compassion for a lost world? And these four men did. I know they did. Why? Because they gave up their place at the house. They probably would have been there earlier and had a good seat to hear the creator of the universe is speaking. That's not an everyday event. But they gave that up for this man. Why? Because he needs Jesus. Well, that's obvious enough. Yeah, but if we don't stop, he's not going to get there either. That's what compassion is. See, that's why we went to France. Why did we go to France? Because we wanted to speak French better? My French teacher at Clearwater High told me I had no capacity to learn his mother tongue and that I had wasted his time and mine. Not the best incentive to go to France. No, we went there because there were thousands of cities without any gospel witness, period. These people would never, ever, ever, ever hear the gospel unless somebody like you or me goes there to preach the gospel. I'll never forget the day I visited Ken Beach. He was a missionary supported by Lakeside back in the 70s. Uh, a church planter in Paris and he had told me I went to the missions conference like we always did back then Lakeside had missions conferences Sunday to Sunday every night of the week I was 16, 17 years old not tremendously motivated to go to church every night of the week to hear these wonderful beloved people talking about Africa, Asia, South America whatever and I'm listening patiently thinking, well, I'm glad they're doing a good work, and waiting for the last slide. You remember carousel slides? Now we're dating ourselves here, you know. These slides that would hopefully fall into place one after the other. One inevitably gets jammed, and yet they go, oh, anyway. I'd wait for the sunset slide, because that was the last one. It always ended in sunset slide. But this night, I was really interested, because I was going to take a tour of Europe after high school with the Foreign Study League and visit and see England, Holland, France, Switzerland, and Spain. And that night, a man was up there talking about France. Well, boy, was I interested in that one. And I went up to him and proudly announced to him that I was going to be in Paris that summer, after which he invited me to visit him. Now, how I found him, we would take up the rest of the hour of how I actually connected with him once I got on the other side of the ocean. But I did. And he showed me what he was doing. He was so excited about this church they had just started. The only church in this vast area of the southern suburbs of France. He took me in his car and we drove through city after city after city after city to get to the heart of Paris, the part everyone knows about with the Eiffel Tower and all that. No, we were in the concrete jungles of the suburbs of Paris. And at one point I said, well, do you have a church in this city? Church! Well, I don't even know of a born-again believer in this city. And this went on for quite a while because traffic in Paris is dense. And we finally came to a point where he said, well, you see that tower over there? There's a Bible study we started. I said, finally, how many come to that? Three. After which I said, sir, somebody should do something about this. He stopped the car, looked at me right in the eye, and he said, well, if you're so concerned, why don't you come and join us? 
And that was my call to missions. That's when my conviction turned to compassion. That's when my stomach was tied in knots. And that's why we went to France. Now, of course, Karen thought she was going to Africa, but I convinced her that France was a far better option. So that worked out well, too. But that, that's, that's what it means, that the, this compassion that we need. But, of course, now the man still hasn't made it anywhere. Uh, we've got to get back to our story here. So there's one bed, one man that can't move, four men. It's not complicated at this stage. There are four corners of the bed, I don't think they set up a committee to discuss the issues involved in getting this bed from point A to point B or doing this missiological research, demographic, geographic, and all that kind of stuff, you know, to try to figure out what eventually would be the best strategy to one day. No, of course not. They grabbed one corner of the bed. Uh, but you would be surprised in missions today how much we talk about missions but we don't do anything. We need to define the 1040 window. Okay, do that, but then go to the 1040 window. We have to define this, define whatever, and it's always the same. We just change the vocabulary, and we go around and around and around. But these men didn't do that. They knew after their conviction and their compassion, they needed cooperation. My third point, cooperation. Each one was going to pick up his corner of the bed and get this man to Jesus. That's rather straightforward. But in our lives, what is the cooperation needed? How are we going to get the job done? Well, let me give you my four corners of the bed. The first one, and as we walked in the room, you heard what that one was. Prayer. Prayer. When that team came over and prayed around City Hall and the streets of Pongshaha, it was amazing what we saw after that. How that lady, did you, did, you didn't tell them the story, well you, knew, you told that you walked around City Hall. For those, now if you get our newsletters, you've heard this story before, but it's just too good to show how God answers prayer. The situation in Pongshaha was that the, the mayor, who had been mayor for 25 years, five straight terms, and all of his team were not enthusiastic about us being there. They did not give us a suitable meeting place. They are obliged to by law, but they always get around it by saying, well, if we gave to everyone who asked, we can't meet everyone's need, so we won't meet anyone's need to avoid discrimination. Well, that big help that was. So we're delegated to this very noisy, small room on the outskirts of town, but at least allowed us the place to meet. But we knew if we are going to have any impact on this city, we needed a visible, large enough facility that we could invite people and build this church. But there was nothing available, time after time after time. So when the Lakeside team came, we prayed, specifically, walking around City Hall, Lord, you know who in that building is has the would have the heart and the means to open the door for us to have this place. We didn't know who that person was. It obviously wasn't the mayor because I knew him and had told him on multiple occasions what our needs were and it was just, yeah, I wish we could help, you know, yeah, I wish you the best, you know, and, and be sure to vote for me at the next election type thing, you know. Um, so that wasn't going anywhere. So the Lakeside team did that in the month of July. I'll never forget this because next month is the month of August August in France is a vacation month. 
The French have five weeks paid vacation plus all the other holidays that they can figure out how to work less. And the French are, are specialists at figuring out how not to work. That's another question. But they, because August nothing gets done, there was no way to even search for a building, but it was the city festival. The city, every year they have a festival. We invite our twin city from Italy to come, and it's a big outdoor games, and uh, they elect a queen, and they have all kinds of things just to enjoy life outdoors to celebrate another year with our twin city in Italy. But interestingly enough, on the brochure, you see the activities beginning Friday night, all day Saturday, Sunday morning. Sunday morning. 9.30 a.m., Mass at the Catholic Church. Now, why is that unusual? Because in France, there is total, 100% separation between church and state. The two do not intermix that by any means. So this is not correct for a city brochure to advertise a religious activity. But it's been going on for over 100 years. It's tradition. It's always what they do during the city festival, especially with our friends from Italy there. So, 9.30 in the morning, on Sunday, Mass at the Catholic Church. And Karen and I said, well, that's a city activity. We're going to the Mass at the Catholic Church. And so, to participate in all levels of the city. Uh, when we got there, now I knew the priest pretty well. He was a young man, open-minded. We had, we had had some pretty interesting discussions and so we get there, and the, now the church is full. It, it's full, uh, all the seats were taken. And the, the priest gets up to begin and says, with a little irony in his voice, well, I see we have a larger than normal attendance. In other words, where are you the rest of the year? You know, that type of thing. But everyone was there. The mayor, the whole city council's there. And he said, and I see the mayor is there in the city council. We welcome this month, this morning. And I also see Pastor Davis and his wife from the Protestant church, and we welcome them to our service this morning. And then they held the mass. As we're walking out, the, the mayor, very political, I mean, this guy is a good politician, shaking everyone's hand and, you know, we remember having great conversations. Of course, we shook his hand too and walked out. And I saw this lady standing there and I had been observing her for three years now. She was his chief assistant. She was the one always behind the scenes, putting people in place, handing him papers, pulling him in one direction, whispering in his ear. Everything was organized thanks to her. And I'm thinking, wow, she's the one that runs things around here. But I've never met her. So I walked up to her. She's standing very casually by herself and went up to her and said, now in France, you do not go up to someone that you have never met before and engage in conversation. You simply go, bonjour madame, to which she says, bonjour monsieur, end of conversation. Nothing more. If you press it further, you, whoa, whoa who is this guy, whatever. So I did what was culturally correct. I walked up to her and I said, Bonjour, now, no, she knows who I am. Okay, so I said, Bonjour, Madame. She says, Bonjour, and puts her hand out. Bonjour, Monsieur. So I took her hand and she said, Well, let me say that I appreciate you being here this morning and let go of my hand. I thought, Well, merci, Madame. And that was the end of the conversation. I thought, Why on earth did she say that? She's not a believer. She was there because it's the city event. But she, and that, why, that thing went through my mind for several weeks. Now we're in the month of August, so nothing gets done administratively. So I just let that simmer in my mind. Now we're in September where everything's back to normal. 
And we lived right across the parking lot from City Hall. It took me two minutes to get from our apartment to City Hall. So I thought, I'm going to go meet this lady. She's so, she was so gracious, and she is the one that runs things around here, and she knows about the building search and all that over all these years, so it wouldn't hurt to get to meet her. So, and this is one month, you know, now we're two months after Lakeside's prayer thing. So, I, I go to City Hall, I find her secretary, and I introduce myself, and I said, I'd like to make an appointment to see Madame Tozulini. And she said, oh, she wouldn't want to see you. And I said, well, we don't know that yet, because she doesn't know that I want to see her, but I'm just asking you to tell her that if she's willing, I would like an appointment. Well, I can already tell you that she wouldn't want to see you. Again, I'm just asking you to tell her that I would like to see her. Oh, what a waste of time. And she literally got up from behind her desk, walked down the hallway to some other office. I heard two voices in the distance. She walks back to me with her eyes like this going, Oh, you can go right now? Who are you? Type thing. I mean, she was just stunned. So I walked into her office, and she's sitting there with these files meticulously placed. She's obviously an organized uh, woman, and she had me sit down. We had our little casual conversation, and then she said, Now, what can I do for you? I said, Well, Madame Tozulini, I have lived in your city for three years now, and as far as my observations are concerned, you are the one that runs this city. And she said, You could say that. Yeah, you could say that. Well, you also know our need of a meeting place, and thank you for the small building we have in the outskirts of town, but you also know that that's not adequate for us, and I really need to find a solution for that. And the city, by the way, a little background, had already denied four specific purchase or rental requests that went to her desk and had been vetoed in the previous years by her. So I said, I'm going to start looking now for a better meeting place and when that file comes it's coming right to your desk and I know that you have the power to authorize it or the power to veto it so to save you and me a lot of time may I if I find something can I just come to you and ask you what do you think of this place or this property and if you say no way well we both saved ourselves a lot of time and I'll look elsewhere she's listening to me she says all right all right, for that request, you have access to my office. Would you tell your secretary? Yes, yes, I will deal with her, yes. That was the month of September. The month of October, we found one. A little superette, a thousand square feet, not very big, but right downtown. I mean, you walk down that street with all the shops on either side, the one where the marketplace started, that was it. I mean, it was, it was there. It was available. It was horrid condition inside because it had been abandoned and all. But it, we could talk about visibility. It was unbelievable. And it would cost about 85,000 euros, but at that time $100,000, which for a commercial property right downtown was a reasonable price. Well, when I saw that, I thought, well, before we go any further, I need to talk to Madame Tozulini. So I walked to City Hall, saw her secretary. She just waved me on. I went and I said, well, Madame, what do you think of the superette, you know, the one on downtown? She said, oh, that's right. That's for sale. Would that be adequate for you? I said, well, I'd obviously like something bigger, but we could at least get started in, in a good position there. And she said, well... All right. Now, another thing was, too, they were before going to impose 
a parking, one-time parking fee of $10,000 per seating capacity. For, in other words, you had 100 seats, multiply it by 100 as a way to keep us out. I mean, they didn't have to do that. There's no law. It was their way of keeping us out. And I said, well, there's no parking because there weren't, or wasn't right in front of it. And she said, oh, the parking thing. We're not going to talk about that anymore. Just if that building is adequate for you, don't worry about that. We'll take that off the table. This is a miracle. We're on miracle status here. Madame Tozulini has said yes to buying downtown a commercial property, no parking fee, no strings attached. If you want it, it's yours. When I called the church leadership about this, they, they said this is impossible. No, but God can do anything. All things are possible with God. And you might have, might have heard a cry of joy coming across the Atlantic the month of October of that year. We were elated. God has answered prayer. That was in the month of October. Now, it takes all real estate, especially commercial real estate, three to six months to go through because of all the administration they have to go through. But now we're in the month of December. Nothing gets done in December in France because it's just before Christmas and, and everybody's already gone on vacation and everything. So now January comes... And we're talking a major supermarket chain. This would be like asking Publix to come up with its ownership papers for their property on Belcher and Sunset Point. I mean, that's what we're talking about. They, the office in Paris could not find the paperwork on their building in pont Well, you can't buy it without the deed, without the other paper. You can't do it. Our lawyer was saying, well, I'd love to process this, but I don't have any paperwork. Five months go by and this, they can't find the paperwork. We are so discouraged again. I mean, the people, the believers there were, well, here we go again. We even have Madame Tozulini behind us, and we still can't find a property. They were really discouraged about it. But the next day, a realtor informed us that a funeral home across the parking lot from the post office, and now in France, a post office is always right in the middle of town. Not in America, but it is in France. So if you say near the post office, oh, everybody knows where that is, where everybody is meeting. It is going up for sale. But I haven't even advertised it yet, so you'd be the first ones. And it was obviously nice on the inside. It's a funeral home. It was beautiful on the inside. It was slightly bigger, but 170,000 euros for this thing, that's $200,000. But, uh, well, uh, at least it's available, and they've got the paperwork. So, but we have to ask Madame. Well, then, then the man was saying, um, so would you like to buy this? And, and we said, well, yeah, but... Uh, and I had already asked Madame Tosilini about it. I forgot. I went to her first, and she said, well, if that's good option for you too, go for it. Okay, we've got permission again. But the realtor is looking at us. He is not a believer. He is looking, myself and some of the men of the church leadership, and he's saying, no, excuse me, you want to start a church, right? Well, yeah. Well, this isn't big enough for a church. Wouldn't you want something bigger than this? Well, yes, of course we would. Well, why don't you buy the department store just down the sidewalk here, right next to the post office? It's been abandoned for 25 years. Well, yeah, we know about that. That was one of the four that the city had denied them years before and had put up that 10,000 parking fee and were going to make them do all kinds of ridiculous things that weren't necessary to keep us out. And, of course, I said, well, I'd love to have that, but the city... Well, he said, no, a lot has changed on, on that since then. But who's your contact person in City Hall? I said, well, Madame Tozulini. He said, well, let me call her. Direct line. I didn't know she had a direct line, but he did. 
And he calls her and he says, Now, uh, I've got Pastor Davis standing in front of me here. You know, yes, I showed him the funeral home and all that. But you, you, you know the, the pre-unique, the department store. Why couldn't they buy that? You wouldn't have a problem with that, would you? Thank you very much. You can have it. She won't oppose it. We can buy 8,000 square foot department store downtown Punxaha. Of course, now I'm multiplying. This is seven, eight, uh, uh, how much? Uh, seven times bigger than the other. And I've multiplied these numbers in my head already going, well, I said, how much is this going to cost? Well, you know, that's a good point. The investors who, gave, who delegated this to me, they are so fed up with paying the property taxes, and churches are exempt from property tax, so we didn't have to worry about that. Um, they, they've mandated me, sell it. Just get it off of our hands, whatever price you can get. Last year, I offered it to somebody for 70,000 euros. They couldn't come up with the financing, but that was a year ago. How about 60,000 euros, 55 for them, 5 for me? 60,000, that's like $80,000. Let's pray. Amen. I mean, you, sometimes the, the, pr the answer is there. You just say, thank you, Lord, you know. I said, you're going to let us buy that for 60,000 years. Absolutely. Well, now, the other catch is the city can preempt any sale, any property, commercial or private, at the agreed sale price for the use of the city. But they didn't exercise that right either. Madame Tozulini authorized us to buy that building for 60,000 euros, no strings attached. That was the direct answer to the team praying around City Hall. And then, to make the story even more fun, since 1999, the church down the valley and we had been putting money aside for a down payment for this building. Guess how much money we had in the bank? Exactly 60,000 euros. We bought it cash. Now we had to do a mammoth amount of innovation as we have a test uh, what's the team one? A witness. Uh, you saw that. well you saw it actually after the walls were already up and everything but the, the, the massive amount of work that had to be done. But the Lakeside Dream Team came over and helped us get that done. But that's just one, now that's one corner of the bed. But to me that's the biggest one. Without your prayers, without God intervening, we could do all we want to do and we'd just be running around in circles. The other one, obviously, another corner is financial support. By your faithful financial support and other churches with you, we have had the means we need to live and do our ministry in France. One way you plant a church in France is tell the government that you want a visa, a visa that does not allow you to work and all you want to do is pay taxes and spend money in France. You get visas quite easily in France with those conditions. If you want a work permit, no, that's a whole different ballgame. But we missionaries don't get work permits. We go there with the privilege of living in their country and but just thanks to support from churches like Lakeside that we can do that. Plus, how do you salary a pastor when there aren't any members yet? When we go into a start a church, the church membership doesn't even exist yet. But we have the means that we need to, to live, get the church started and train the church to give to the leaders that they will have in the future. A third corner of the bed is what I call the corner of encouragement, love and encouragement. The cards that you send, the emails that you send, the, the visits, the when we come back here and just reminding us of your love 
and help for us, obviously during Karen's cancer ordeal, how you helped with all the ways that you did. That is an extremely important corner of the bed, not just sending the missionaries off, but encouraging them along the way, praying for them, encouraging and loving them. And obviously the fourth corner of the bed is actually going. Somebody's got to go and get the work done. And we've been honored to fulfill that corner. So now, conviction. Jesus is the only hope for this man. Compassion. We're going to get this man to Jesus, whatever the cost. Cooperation. Every one of you pick up a corner of the bed and let's go. But then they ran into literally a closed door. We use that expression a lot. A closed door. Well, this was literally a closed door. No one can get into the door. The place is full. They could have easily said to this man, you know, we gave it our best shot. We really wanted to get you in to see Jesus. But you can see for yourself, there's, there's, no, in, there's no way in. There, the place is packed. Maybe next time. Or we wish you the best. Or something like that. Was that what they said? No, 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 no. The door's blocked. Yeah, okay. Well, where else can we go to get this guy to Jesus? Well, the only other solution that they figured out was to go through the roof. Now, back in those days, they had flat roofs and they weren't tiled like we have today or whatever. And they, there was a stairway. Now, I imagine there was a bit of a discussion of who gets to carry this uh, bed from the back and who gets to carry it from the front. You know, I mean, I'm sure they had that discussion. But they got up there and now imagine this scene. Imagine that we were one of the ones who are always on time and we have our place of honor right in front of... We're listening to Jesus talk. We've got front row seats. And what's that noise we hear from the top? That's weird. And stuff's starting to fall down from up on top. That's even worse. And what's Jesus doing about it? Nothing. Jesus, tell those guys to stop. Do something. Continue. No, these, these rude men are making a whole and a mess of things. And what are they letting down from the roof? Now that meant they had to get out of the way. It was commotion in there. I'm, I'm going to interview these people, how they lived through it. Had I been in that room, I would have thought that was the, the rudest thing you could possibly do. And the poor owner of the house, how's he feeling about this? Who knows? But whatever they let this man down on cords in front of Jesus. In other words, total commitment, the final C, commitment. Go to the very end. Whatever it takes, we're going to get it done. No, a closed door is simply a detour to figuring out how to do it. And that is what keeps us in France. France is known as the graveyard of aspiring missionaries. By that I mean it has often, I think, still has the highest attrition rate of missionaries going for the long term who come home purely out of discouragement or feeling that it was a waste of time. But why France? This is a fun country to live in. It's a beautiful country. It's, it's a modern country. Yeah, but it, the people don't care about the gospel. They, they're not belligerent. They're not angry. They just don't care. You can spend years talking to these people and they will smile and say, well, I'm glad you found something that helps. And it goes on and on and on like that for years. And if you're not careful, 
If you're not committed to saying, well, if the door is closed, I'm going to go through the roof, whatever that means, you will come back to the green pastures of Florida to say, well, at least people here are nice. No, no. It's conviction. These people need Jesus. Compassion. Our stomach is tied in knots and we're going to do something about it. Cooperation with your prayers, your support, your encouragement. We'll pick up our corner of the bed and we'll go to France. And commitment. When we get confronted over and over and over and over again by complacency, apathy, ridicule, mayors who, can't, who couldn't care less and all this kind of stuff. No, we're going to stick it out. We're going to get this job done. And that's what missions is all about. So that's the message we want to leave with you, our home church. Keep that conviction. Never lose it. Keep that compassion. Never lose it. Keep that cooperation. Keep doing it. And if you do, and sending out the others, they'll have the commitment they need to get the job done. In the few minutes left, you might have some questions about French culture, about life over there. Yes? I, I couldn't quite hear. I'm sorry. Why is oh. Oh, the Notre Dame. Yeah, Notre Dame. Yeah. Well, Notre Dame or Notre Dame, the big cathedral on the Seine River in Paris, is a very cultural symbol. Now, it obviously, is a religious symbol too. It's it was the center of Catholicism for France, but Catholicism has lost its religious grip. It's more of a cultural thing. Notre Dame represents French history. It represents French culture. It represents French architecture. It represents French greatness. It'd be like somebody, well, it'd be like the Statue of Liberty falling. No, that's unthinkable. It's a symbol of the country, of their heritage, whether they believe in God or not. And so it was a tragedy to see the people literally crying around the streets of Paris watching the steeple fall and the ruins. It was a national tragedy because it represented all French culture and history. It's getting rebuilt and they want it ready for the Olympic Games in Paris this summer. Another question. Yeah. Just a little less than 1%. When we went to France, it was just under one-half of 1%. So we have doubled in population, and, but still I have a long way to go. One interesting thing is when we went to France, there was one, they, the those who like to do statistics said that there was one church, and we're talking 50 people or less, uh, for every 65,000 people in France. That is pitifully small. To put it in context, in Pinellas County, you probably have one evangelical church for every three to four hundred people. In France, it was one for every 65,000 people. In 2009, when the French leadership got together to say we need to lead together and work on this, there was one church for every 35,000 people, and they unanimously agreed on the goal of one church for every 10,000 people. Right now, there's one for every 27,000 people which is still so small, but it's a lot better than it was 40 years ago. 
And now we have enough churches that are leaguing together with other churches to mutually decide how they're going to start even more churches. And as I said in the morning service, we're there to train these people to do it, but we don't have enough people to do it. It's a special gift to go into a city as a church planter, not as a pastor, but as a church planter. Those are, those are parallel gifts. My gifting is to go into an area where nothing exists and figure out how to make it ten, ten years later have something that is going to function. That's a special type of calling, and we need more. French, American, whatever nationality, come to France, and let's get those churches started. Somebody else? Okay, yeah. Yeah. How long did it take you from a language perspective where you were comfortable thinking and interacting with people given your high school? Yeah, yeah. In spite of Monsieur Rimard, and I couldn't say that back then, it was Mr. Reimer, in spite of his critical analysis of my inaptitude in the French language. Now, we went to good language schools, and the, the first year you learn the basics second year you can actually go and buy something and probably walk out with what you intended to buy. That wasn't the case at the beginning. You could, you could function. Now if the telephone rang, you didn't know if it was somebody in English or in French and Karen and I would do this ping pong. Karen, the phone's ringing. She said, I heard it. You're closer to it. Well, my hands are full. Well, mine are too. No one wanted to answer the phone because it was this mental, okay, Hello? And now if it's English, oh. But if we're in French, because we didn't, we weren't thinking in French yet. We were thinking in English or go through this mechanism and now we have to think in French. It was like old computers. You know, you put the data in and and finally come out on the other. Well, by then, if you've tried to do a phone conversation like that, that does not work. They ask you a question and you're processing the question that, 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 which means I have to say that, well, by now they've concluded that you didn't understand the question, so they rephrased the question. Well, now I've got to start all over again. And, no, it's, it's, so second year was like that. Third and fourth years, now we're getting into the culture, in with the people, hearing French on a regular basis, and, and becoming immersed in the language. And it was somewhere in years three and four that we felt comfortable in French. And probably four and five, we started dreaming in French. And my father, who majored in foreign languages, said, when you start dreaming in French, you've got it. And sure enough, we started dreaming in French. And now, now we're at the point, of course, that somebody said, well, did you do that in French or in English? I don't remember. Same to me. You know, it's, I can you just go from one to the other. But it took the first three to four, at least, if not fifth year, to really be able to communicate. And not say orange rather than orange and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. The Muslim population is growing. Yeah. The Muslim population continues to grow. One reason being that they have privileged from North Africa privileged access to France. They were former colonies, and as a compensation for the colonial days and all that, they can get visas very easily. But when they come, they come with their entire families and their culture. They do not adapt to the French culture. They live their culture. And it's growing and growing and growing. So, yeah, the Muslim population is a concern because they do not integrate into the French culture. But the French government says, well, they need to integrate. Well, they won't integrate. And it just goes on and on. 
That's a big concern in France, politically speaking, and for sharing the gospel in France. Yeah, it's odd. Yeah. The French people born again, they Oh, the baptism is very just like here at Lakeside, immersion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have a. I mean, a French church service is French, so it's not exactly the way we do it here. But as far as baptism, baptism by immersion, um, very similar. There's many, many similarities. What what we believe is identical. How we exercise our faith of through the communion, of the Lord's Supper, baptism, all that is the same. Now they do it in the French way, but yeah, it's very similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's the criteria for a church to remain Ah, yeah. How do we know it's time to leave? We know it's time to leave when I literally don't have to do what I did do to minister to the church, whether it be preaching, teaching, the, the people are engaged to become true members of the body and are engaged themselves in, church, in the church. We have established a, a recognized, even declared to the government, a recognized uh, church that with the privileges and the responsibilities, when all those pieces have been... I, I, I like puzzles, personally, the real puzzles, but I find church planning to be like a puzzle. You've got to find all those pieces. And some are harder to find than others. But when you finally get all those pieces together and see there is the church, we know it's time to move on. And every church plant is different. Yes, there are. Yeah, there are. There's uh, there are two seminaries in France, and one ex- and one in Switzerland. One in Geneva, Switzerland, French speaking, and that's just an hour and a half north of us. We have a partnership with them for uh, to train future leaders. But there's a may, if you have 20 candidates, you probably have 200 people asking for them. So we we desperately need more leaders. Well, the best way is just come over for a visit. We are retiring in France. We had built a house overlooking Albertville, host city of the 92 Winter Olympics. Not a bad place to be. Uh, but it's also strategically placed for us for our, our mentoring ministry. If anytime you're touring in Europe or want to, we'd be delighted to have you come. What I will do is I will drive you down those valleys and say, okay, see this church? Okay, just note that. And I'll tell you when we pass by the next one. But it'll be a while. Yeah. Yeah, we'll still send out newsletters. Yeah, maybe not every month. I'm going to be retired, you know. No, no, no. no, no but we will send regular updates. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Wonderful to talk with you. And again, we love Lakeside and we appreciate you all. You get this. Yeah, let you take that off. Well, thank you, Paul, for being here and also Karen. I can tell you I've been blessed to go a lot of places for missions with Lakeside and prior to Lakeside, but I've never had food as good as in France. It really was remarkable. And it also, though the compassion part will strike you because what we take for granted is a rarity there. So 
for them to faithfully labor for so long, it, it's great appreciation. So I'm going to close this with prayer, and thank you all for being here. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the faithfulness of Paul and Karen, Lord, as they have labored faithfully. Lord, I pray that you will reward them with rest. And yet, Lord, I also know their hearts. They want to continue to work. They want to continue to further the ministry. Their compassion doesn't go away because of the fact that they're retiring in in one sense. And Lord, I thank you that even in retirement, Paul is looking for which corner of the bed he can carry because he still has work to do. And so I pray that we will support them and lift them up in prayer, that they will not be forgotten. Pray, Lord, that perhaps some in this room will get to go to France and, and they'll be able to see Paul and Karen and be encouraged by by what is going on in France and perhaps it would enable them to pray better and to be more strategic in, in their giving to further the work of your kingdom. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity we've had to hear this today and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all, we'll see you next week.